0: And welcome to episode 94 of the Worldwide Chelsea podcast. It's your host, Matt, back again um, for another lovely episode. And I'm joined by my co-host, Jesters. How are you doing, my friend?
1: Yeah. um, Weekend's great. Uh, we warmed up this weekend. So, you you know, you can go outside without a jacket. So that's awesome. Um, Chelsea, we're... At least had a a brilliant half of football uh, to the likes we haven't seen in a very, very long time. Uh, Probably the best half of football we've at least played in 2022. Uh, You know, my guy was involved, so that's always good. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing terrific. So uh, looking forward to uh, rounding out the season and uh, maybe putting a couple of things to rest so uh, we don't have to deal with it next season.
0: Yes, definitely. It was it was definitely a game of two halves, um, as you would say. Um, but we'll get we'll get straight into it. Um, we'll start with the stats that break down for you guys that love the stats. Um, so obviously it was Chelsea four, Burnley 0. Chelsea had a total of seventy three percent possession compared to Burnley's twenty seven. A total of eleven shots on target for Chelsea compared to Burnley's six, with five on target for Chelsea and two on target for Burnley. Chelsea surprisingly. Didn't miss any big chances, but Burnley did miss one. Um, Chelsea completed 790 passes with a 90% accuracy compared to Burnley's 285 with 68% accuracy. We attempted 21 dribbles with nine succeeded compared to Burnley's 12, four succeeded. Um, Mixture of the duels, Burnley won 51%, we won 49%. Um, Burnley had 25 tackles compared to our 14. 9 interceptions compared to our 4 and they had 13 clearances compared to our 15. So just as I mean obviously it look as as the stats show it shows that the result and the stats do mix but obviously that first half wasn't exactly what the stats show. Um but we'll get into the lineup before we talk about that. What did you think of the overall lineup we started with?
1: Yeah, uh my I didn't mind the saw i of course you know me I've been calling from the plate there all you know all season, so uh that didn't bother me at all uh, again, that's a very low, low bar we've been playing with over on that side, so uh anybody with a pulse at this point, I think I did put on uh was it was it Sadiq stream or was it can't remember who I was on but – I was doing the lineup, and then I put Bob the Hobo. It was Siddiq. Sadi- yes, it was. Strength.
0: Yeah, it was. Bob Go, the Bob Hobo, the...
1: I don't care, you know. It doesn't matter at this point. So, uh, that wasn't uh, my quibble. My quibble was the uh, midfield of Jorginho and Conte, both of which I thought were not needed in this match. I thought a kovacic Ruben Loftus-Cheek pivot would have been a whole lot better uh and not we can discuss in a flow of how, how the first half rolled up, rolled around um you know they firmly used our strikers to sit on our two sixes so they would play the four four two and instead of you know really pressing our center box they sat on Jorginho and Conte who sat right in front of our back three and so now Tiago's having to play the ball either out wide um Or you know, you're trying to have to play the ball across the field, and um, it was it was very disjointed, very slow. Um, and Polisic started dropping I don't know if he was directed or if that was the game plan, but the, 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 he was playing on the left, attacking mid, and he dropped that uh, deeper. Well, uh, Havertz, Mountain, and James on the right-hand side got a little bit higher, but it just never came off. It was really slow and ponderous, not really who you want to drop into the midfield. Uh, Pulisic was it was all right. It wasn't, you know, he got chopped down a few times. A few times it was given, a few times it wasn't. Um, but uh, there wasn't very many big chances. Uh, there was a, you know, Pulisic was brought down right out, on the top of the box, it was not given as a foul. I never saw a replay on it, but there was this, you know, I'm talking like this because that was about it in the first half. It was just very ponderous and slow moving because once the ball went to one of Pulisic or or, or sometimes Sowell, uh, but very rarely, he was actually playing a little bit higher than Pulisic. Um, then it would have to go back into one of Jorginho Arcante. And so you see how slowly we were built because he, you know, he looked, turned around, looked for a run, no run, it goes back. And so it was just very ponderous. There was no linkage between the the midfield the, or the defense and the, the attack. So uh, we just suffered for the first half. And they did have a, a few decent chances. Uh, McNeil had a big miss from a, probably about six yards out. He, he put it over the bar. Um, But that was the first half. And that had to do with the fact that we didn't have a Kovacic who could, who could use still playing the ball when he's being marked like that. He can make it, make the guy miss, make a turn, go into space. That brings another defender out of the position they're in. And then one of our guys can run into that space that the defender has vacated. That's how you play football. It's simple as. It doesn't matter what system you're playing it's about the space spacing of your players is, is there space to run into make a pass into and first half it was so slow there was no space there was nobody driving past bar polisic and maybe haverts uh, once or twice and mount once or twice but it was that was it the, you know the the touches were uh not very good from the from the attacking positions and uh yeah, first half was eh. Looks yeah. like Crystal Palace.
0: Yes, definitely. I, rem- I remember, I was thinking of that game when I was watching it. I was like, this is exactly the same. Honestly, I, I, I've seen it. It's been something we've seen in the last few weeks where and months that we just seem to start slowly. I don't know whether it's a thing where teams have just been up for playing against us and it just looks like we're starting slowly where it's just the team are coming out and then they all seem to kind of then lack a bit of energy, and then that's when we get into the game. I'm just like, it's all right to do that against the likes of Burnley, the likes of Crystal Palace, because sometimes they ain't able to take the chances, sometimes they don't create the chances. You can't do that against the likes of Liverpool, City, um, even the likes of Arsenal, United, if you want to include them in that conversation. Um, Not really. Yeah. If if, if, if I was to say, the likes of Bayern Munich, the likes of Real Madrid, the big teams in in, right. um, yeah,
1: we'd we, we meet them in Europe, not in the other than Man City and, and Liverpool um, in the Premier League.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I agree with you. I think we've, we've spoken about this before how we've agreed that against these smaller teams, a midfield pairing of Jorginho and Kante is just simply too defensive. And again, I just found it again, it was you, you had Jorginho who was kind of dilly dallying about with the ball not really passing it too fast, um, slowing down the play. And then I just find as good as Kante is as a player, it's not the type of player you want to use to try and unlock a low-block defence. I mean, there was at times where almost Burnley's wingers were coming back as as if they were wing-backs and playing a back six. So you need people to run about and create space. I don't think Kante's is good enough. I think, as you said, where a, a cover sit or even... Ruben loftus I don't like Ruben playing in this kind of pivot because I, I feel like he's a better number eight. But at this situation, when you've got six, play, you're playing six of that, this is when you can have Ruben properly going up and allowing Jorginho to cover in that respect. So I, I think that was one of my kind of annoyances. I mean, the Sal thing, I, think, I don't think he played fa- fantastic, but again, Alonso doesn't really do too much better. You get the occasional good game from him, but um, we're just lacking generally and that that, that left back position um but the one thing that annoys me is every time um Matt, with Mount Politic, i don't under, i really don't understand why mount is on the left and politics on the right because i i just feel i think we'll go into this a little bit more um later on but mount i found i find if you're going to play him on the wing he's better on the right and if you're going to play Politic on the wing he's better on the left so I, I don't really understand why they're both almost playing out of position um, and other players are playing out of position. I feel, as good as Tuchel has been, I feel there's just too many times where I'm seeing players out of position and then when you, on the odd time you do see them in their position, they actually start doing well and performing. So I, I don't know. It's a bit of a frustration that's been almost brewing up. And I think today, uh, obviously, Politic did really well, um, especially in the second half, as most of the attackers did. I think Mount again. We'll talk about it in a bit. A little bit of a disappearance, but generally, I was reasonably okay with the lineup. But it just didn't obviously work out the way you want. Um, and as you said, first half, typical, very quiet. Um, if anything, yeah, as you said, Burnley had the better of the chances. Obviously, Dwight McNeil. It was quite funny on Chelsea's Twitter uh, when I was actually on at that point, looking through, and I had people saying, "Oh, Dwight McNeil, how unlucky he was." Not to score that goal. I thought, I looked and thought when I saw the chance, I was like, if that was any one of Chelsea's attackers, we'd be crucifying them, saying they've got no final, fi- no final, uh, no clinical, they're not clinical, they're rubbish, they're missing easy chances. That was a horrible chance to miss. Just like we've we've missed chances like that before, and we've kind of criticised our players, but it seems when other opposition players do it, especially players that we've been previously linked to. It seems we go. Oh, they're a bit unlucky there. I was. I'm just like a bit hypocritical there. But there you go. And obviously, you had the Thiago uh, clearance, which is just typical Thiago. Really, I mean, you can't really can't really praise him more than you already do. He's just fantastic. Just typical Thiago. So it is. what it is. Um, apart from that, we didn't really create much. Much. I think the best we saw was a Rudiger long shot. Um, And then Burnley didn't really create too much else from that either. Um, And even the McNeil chance came from a Mendy mistakes. It wasn't even like Burnley were creating too much. Um, But then obviously second half comes and straight away we go from nil-nil to 3 nil in a matter of 10 minutes, Jesters. Um, What do you think Tuchel did in that half-time to create this fantastic second half?
1: Well, I, I want to go back... And beginning of the in the first half, there a, a couple times where they might have switched, uh, just because they were trying something out. Um, Pulisic was on the left, and Mount was on the right. In the second half, they switched that. They were using the, the 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 left side to drop deeper to pick up the ball to make a midfield three, since the Burnley strikers were sitting on the our sixes and the. And denying the way we wanted to build up play, so uh, in the first half, Polisic had more touches than Mount because he was the one dropping deep. You don't want Polisic dropping deep at the halfway line if you want to use the best, get the best out of him. Yes, he can do it, and yes, we've seen some highlight stuff. But he's better once you get into the final third of the pitch and get him the ball so he wouldn't be the first receiver of the ball but the second receiver of the ball and then he's closer to the box or around the box and then that's when he's most at his most creative he's not creative from deep and you saw that with he was running at the back and he had right uh reese james to the right and he missed him right before he had an insi- assist the Kai. he he held on to the ball too long and uh you know we were all at that point you know, people were cussing him. And then in a matter of minutes, he had had that beautiful assist to Kai. So what happened was Polisic went over to the right. Mount went over to the left. Mount then started dropping deep as an eight would. And, you know, box to box, built up the play. So Polisic became the, the, the receiver in the, the offensive phase of the game and was able to create he you know he was involved with uh of course kai havertz's headed goal the, the second goal i believe it was um he was involved in the third goal um not directly via an assist but he was uh the main man in the buildup of that goal and then of course the fourth goal which he had to tap in um uh, because he was able to get play more higher up the Pitch in more of the final, you know, the final third, and that's where he started to shine. And and the him and Kai Havertz, they're on the same page. They're on the same wavelength. So, um, yeah, that's a, That's a that's a partnership that we need to stick with.
0: Yeah, I mean, we always we always do see with politic. He does like to have these. Specific partnerships. I mean, we best saw it of him and Giroud, obviously in Project Restart. And I think him and Havertz, the, the bits that I did see of the game, they were very much in a very good sync um, with each other, um, which is very nice to see. It's not. So, it's something I've not really seen um, from other strikers that Pulisic played around in the past. Tammy, I felt they never really had that much of a understanding. Arguably, that was because Pulisic was out half the time. Vincenzi very much was playing inconsistently in terms of the game time. But, um, yeah, I thought he, he played pretty decent. I mean, he's had a few runner games now where when he has played in that attacking position, either on the right, left, or drifting around the centre, he has played quite well and started to get goals, assists, starting to play, put in good performances. Obviously, you had the Lille game where he done really well. Arguably, was my man of match. Um, Liverpool game, I know he missed that one chance, but... Um, as I said in the last episode that I did on my own, I I didn't think it was... I think people were taking it out of perspective a little bit. You look at his body positioning, there was no way he was going to get it into that other corner. Um, and Kelleher was just unfortunately <laughs> in the right position to get the ball. If Kelleher was in the middle of the goal and not slightly to the left, I don't think he, he, he would have he saved it. Um, but it's just typical. Um, but it, it's just one of them things. Um, but I thought apart from that game, the Liverpool game, he played quite well. And again, today, I think, obviously, the first half, I think everyone was kind of poor or average to poor. Um, But in the second half, he did really well. Obviously, he's got his goal. Um, People will say, oh, it's a bit lucky, but you have to be in the position to score. Um, Unfortunately, there's been times where that's happened and our players haven't been in the right position to take advantage of it. So, and obviously, he got the assist um, and arguably a pre-assist for one of the other goals as well. So, um, it's all good, it's all good from Pulisic. Um and hopefully he can keep getting a bit of consistent run and that's all I've asked for and I'm confident like he is now that he will continue his run and show that he is one of the players we can, we can rely on in, uh, in the future, um, but we'll have to wait and see, I mean the main man s- seems to be in that um, second half was Rhys James obviously a fantastic goal um, going in and out Burnley players were turning rounds, right, left, right, left, right, left. Didn't know where he was going, and then nice finish um, in the bottom corner. I think arguably, I was I heard someone else say this, but Reece James has probably got a better finishing um, technique than most of our attackers. Uh, would you agree with that, Justice?
1: Oh yeah, he's a he's a wonderful striker of the ball. You can see that from the, the, even from the passes he plays in. Uh, you know the crosses and and the dead ball. Uh, pieces. He's he's very 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 talented footballer uh, to go along with the, the the athletics that he has above most people in the world playing that position. I mean, the guy's built like a tank. Uh, you know, he would be uh if he played American football, he'd be a middle linebacker or a, a, a strong safety. He would be at the heart of the defense. Uh, the most athletic guy, the guy that can go side to side. you know Reese is he's fantastic. And yes, we have missed him. Um, and you can see how much better we are with just fifty percent of our wingback combination. And uh, you know, if we had Chile, yeah, it'd be a different story, but we're we're not here to talk about fantasy land. Um, Reese was amazing. I, I will point out that um he did get better in the second half when uh certain certain gentleman was put on his side. It seemed to flow a lot better than the first. When another certain gentleman was on his side. That's all I'll say. Um yeah, I'm I'm gonna be incredulous. I got I got a bag full of receipts. I'm gonna start playing some of them. So uh yeah, it's uh it's looking good and you know, going forward we need to see, you know, Havertz and Polisic together with somebody. You name that person, Ziyash, Werner, uh even Lukaku, and those those two would work. But they're they're vibing right now. I think they scored twelve goals in this have twelve goals and assists in the last twelve games they've played together. So you know, it might not seem like a lot, but that's a lot for our team. Uh, you know, if we could score a little bit more, we would be closer to City. So, uh, if they're working and that, you know, we, we haven't scored four in a long time and we put, we didn't win half, let them go and rotate whoever you want in, you know, fill in the blank on that third position.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've I've, I've been... With Rhys James, I think you could see how much of an upgrade it was, um, especially when we're playing this wing-back formation. As stable, that's how I'm going to call it. As Asplundwetter can be, um, it's just Rhys James gives you that extra level, um, and it, it's lovely to see. And this is this is Rhys James that we'd argue is he even if if people are going to make excuses, is he even fully fit yet because he he has come back. He's not. He's played bits and but dabs of different games um, and this was his first start Uh, and obviously it took him a little bit of time to get in the game but obviously no one was fantastic in the first half and I think obviously there was a change of tactics, positions from certain players that got the team going in the second half Um, and obviously Rhys James was the one that kind of almost inspired it, started it off um, got all the pieces together along with uh, Kai Havertz who obviously got two goals, I think he's now got I think if I'm right, it's four goals in the last five games. Um, arguably, if he's going to start in this strike, uh, false nine position, is he keeping Lukaku at the team? Jesters? As...
1: Jesters, you there? Oh, sorry, I'm on my phone and my button, the button on to mute is real sensitive. <laughs> that's, a, that's what we call an ID10T error. In, uh, in technical terms, uh, yeah, I, I want to kind of put this false nine. He, I think he's playing more of a striker than a false nine right now. Um, and I know we all we all love uh, FIFA, and so we tend to to, to to overthink positionally. He's just going to play out as a straight a straight number nine, but he's going to play it like high Havertz, okay? There's not too many strikers in the world who can play that position and give you a, a 10 combined with a, a, a deadly finisher in the box. Okay? You can count them on one hand. If that's what Kai's, it seems to be and seems to be his best position, is that striker that's going to give you you know, mobility, create space, build help build up play when he needs to do all the things that a professional needs to do, um, then then yeah, I'm all for it. Um, you know, you, you know, I'll take two and, and three on Sunday because this this dude is the real thing. Um and what we should be looking for in the summer is they could score her a score play with him. We need a, a another score. We don't need another striker. Uh, you know, even if number nine rolls out of town, we still don't need another striker. You we have a young young man sitting in Southampton, bring him back. You have Kai Havertz, build around Kai Havertz. He's, you know, he's the one out of all of them we bought that is. That has paid his dues already. He's paid it back. You know, I know he has some prolific, but in the big moments he's shown up and now you're starting to see what he can bring when he get when he's consistent, when he's fit, when he's being played in the right position. This is the guy that you build your team around. You, you bring in some scores and put them around them. And look, you're talking about a, a totally different squad next year. Um. So for me Kai Havertz is is and Kristen Pulisic are, are one and two on the on the sheet going forward. Like I said, there's a third position open. You know, your applicants are in no particular order, Mason Mount, Hakim Ziyech, Timo Werner, uh Romelu Lukaku and Callum Hudson-Odoi. One of them has got to uh step up and and uh you know, take make that that third position is their own, and uh I don't know who it's going to be. I think it's going to be on uh who who we play against and what the tactics might be and how that they want to use that position, but right now um you've got two that are firing good you just start rotating that third position in there and find a match and when it's uh when it fits properly then then you just stick with it, and the other ones can just be uh squad players um for the rest of the year because we have too much to win still there's too much to lose still you have to find that combination uh and and who it doesn't matter you know who got the biggest contract who's supposed to be the guy you need to find the the pieces that are going to go together they're going to unlock some defenses and right now you got two of them you got to find the third
0: yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think in terms, obviously, the, the whole, is it a false night? Is it a number... I I, I think you, you said it perfectly in terms of it is a number nine, almost, that he's playing. But in, as you said, Kai Havertz's own way, I think he is that kind of unique type of striker. Obviously, everyone has their unique traits, but he is very unique in the way he plays that striker role. Um, there's not really anyone I can look at in other teams that I go... That's he's similar to him, um, which is nice because it's it, it's it, you can the way Kai Havertz plays you can really create something around him. And as you said, um, I do think we need someone if we're going to play Kai Havertz up front. I think we do need someone that can score goals from the wing. Um, whoever that may be, anyone can insert whatever player they want there. Uh, I think there are some credible options you can get, um, and potentially depending on. If certain teams go down, if certain teams um, with their financial troubles, you could get these players at relatively good prices as well. Um, so, it, it's, it's having a look in the summer to see what's the best option. I mean, for me, in terms of my front three at the moment, I think it has to be Pulisic, Havertz. And at the moment, depend- see, for me, it depends. Are you going to play a back four? Are you going to play a back three? I think Ziyech, if it's back four, it's nailed in for me. Uh, he gets that spot on the right. When it's a back three, I think it's a bit more of a question mark. I think I'd still probably go with Ziyech because I think I see more from him than I have from Werner. Um, I see more than him than I have for um, Callum. Um, and then uh, Lukaku, it's it's one of them ones. Kai Havertz is playing so well up front, I don't really want to force him out wide to bring Lukaku in. So I'd, I'd rather just not... Not mess that. Not not mess habits about leave Haberts where he is and put, get someone on the right. Um, which, yeah, I, I'd probably say is ash and then the rest of them could just, as you said, play squad roles to the end of season, and then the summer we'll see where we can improve, possibly on the left, possibly on the right, depending on who you get in. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's talk about Mason Mount because obviously it's another game. I don't I don't like to get on players back, and I think. Mason Mount has been at at times, especially last season, a very good player. But I'm just struggling to see why he's consistently getting into this team at the moment because he's, for me, he's just for for weeks, if not months, he's not been the Mason Mount of last season. I still think, I don't think he's playing dreadful. Um, I think there's been other players in the attack who have played dreadful um, at times this season. I don't think he's been dreadful. He's just, Almost, I'm gonna say Casper the Ghost. He's been missing in certain games, and people always come back to, "Oh, but he presses. He he does the off the ball work." But actually, recently, when I've been watching the game, you watch Kai Havertz, you watch Hakim Ziyech. Who a lot of people will go, Hakim Ziyech can be very look very lazy at times, but they're they're doing a lot of pressing recently. they have really improved in that off the ball work rate, right? um, and that obviously then if that means they can do the off-the-ball work rate, maybe not as good as Mason Mount does, uh, arguably, if they can do that off-the-ball work rate to a good level, it kind of just takes that part from Mason away of why he should be in the round team. Arguably, I do think, into his defence, I still think he's always been playing out of position because, naturally, I think his best position is a number eight. Unfortunately, the back three, you can't play a number eight. It's, a, it's two sixes, so... He's kind of in a sticky spot at the moment. But what do you think of Mason Mount's performance? and Do you think he should have a bit of time out of the starting lineup? Yeah, uh, look, I I think Mason
1: Mount is a, a terrific number eight. Again, he's an eight playing as a forward. So what you'll find is when people go through and may play a position professionally, through uh, academies, up through loan deals. It's very, it's very hard to uh, get the instincts when you're moved to a different position, right? Whatever position it is, um, it takes time to develop those instincts. And so as a, t- an attacking player, a, a pure out forward attacking player, he still hasn't developed all those instincts, right? He's he's a, he's a he's a box to box eight. That's his that's his best position. You know, he's he role modeled himself, I'm guessing, after Frank Lampard. Um so I think it's sometimes he gets kind of lost in those forward positions. Um and you saw that when he was playing even playing sometimes under Lampard, he was like what why is he out there? He's just, he doesn't have, there's something missing. And and that's fine because he doesn't have those instincts built up from years of playing those forward attacking positions like uh, your Pulisic's Wood, your Kai Havert, Timo Werner. That, you know, those, those players aren't better than him. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they have the instincts that he doesn't have. And if he if those were the positions that he would would have focused on in the academy and through years of training, then maybe he developed those instincts a little bit more. So um, I think that's that's why he goes invisible sometimes just because. You know, he put, you know, even today, he put in a, 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 an above average game as an eight. You were playing as a forward, dude. Because he built up the play well, you know, uh, he, he stabilized, uh, you know, he was the main guy from the transition from offense to defense. You know, he looked good in the second half doing those things. You were still playing as a forward, which means we need more in attack from you. Uh, the other two did, um, and some, some would say, well, he, he, he jumped on the grenade so the other two could look good. Well, I guess you could say that or it worked that way better than it did in the first half when the roles were reversed because people were more in their natural roles even if they weren't on their natural sides of the field. And sometimes that's that's a better fit. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, with Mason, it's not like I want to I don't want to criticise him. I mean, you, I know we have certain uh, characters and certain people that will any sort of criticism of Mount is straight away hate. Um, I make it clear, that I don't think either of us are looking to hate on Mason Mount. Um, I think we, we both explained that we both think he's a fantastic number eight. And I think you'd argue if we had number eight positions in this side, Mason Mount would argue be first choice. Um, at the moment. Um, but unfortunately, he's not. And I think the one point where I just get very frustrated with some of the people that really love Mason Mount is the whole word, generational. Honestly, <laughs> I think everyone that calls Mason Mount, or this is even up to other fans, um Ndoye, um any other, certain other players... Chalabar, even I've seen Bruce James. None of these guys yet are generational. The word generational is so oh, overused, like the word world class. I think it's too lightly used. I mean, if, if I'm honest, the only, if you were to use the word generational player that is currently in this team is Thiago Silva. There is no, there is not really any player defender on this earth like Thiago Silva, at least in the last 10, 20 years. I think he's out, out and out there been one of the best centre-backs in his generation, simple as. Maybe you could argue in Golo Kante, um, I don't think he's playing up to his top form at the moment, but you could argue in his time he has been a generational player. Apart from that, I do not want to hear any other player called, be called generational. I don't really want to hear any of our other players be called world-class yet, because I don't think they are, and I think it's Unfortunately, as, as Jess I said before, it puts a player on such a pedestal that sometimes we have to be a bit more harsh because if you're going to put them on these brackets of generational, then we have to criticise them as a generational player would. If they make mistakes, then you've got to criticise them because they're this big player. They've got to live up to these expectations. Do you agree with that, Jess?
1: Well, I, I, for those, I guess I do... The- I say that for those um, fans, not for the player themselves. So I think again, I sh- you shouldn't give undue disrespect to a player based on them having idiots as fans. <laughs> you know, because uh, yeah. there there would be a, a lot of hate on players, then because there's a lot of idiot fans. But yeah, if 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 your premise is a certain player is generational he's you know the top tw- in the top 20 players in the world then yeah the bar that you're setting for that player to be judged upon is a lot higher than than say you know he's just a good talent and and you know leave it at that you're setting a bar for to be judged as a top 20 player in the world and that's a that's a high bar to be judged against that means you got to be fantastic you know nearly every minute of every game because that's what a top 20 player in the world is you guys you have to impact a game so at, at a certain level every time you're on the pitch and i just got done telling you that our attack got better when he was moved away from the side that was doing all the attacking. So you can't say he played like a generational or world-class talent in that match. He didn't. But that's fine. If he just said he's a good talent, he's, he's growing, uh, he's still young, but he, he's, re- he's really good at what he does. That's a different bar you've set than... Top 20 player in the world. Because he didn't play like that yesterday. So if I was to judge. Those standards. I'd give him a. a Maybe like a four. Because he was that far below. A a top 20 player. If I judged him on. Like I did. I judged him as a six. Being average. Because he didn't really do anything right. Or really anything wrong. He was just average. Which you average. Expect at any humdrum player out there playing that position for any Premier League team doesn't matter where they are in the league you see that's the difference of taking somebody's agenda
0: when you talk about a player yeah definitely I think when I I said that I didn't mean more as you said in terms of the hate on the actual player I think again it's more you have to direct it towards more of the fans which Frustrates me because it's just it just it just shouldn't be the way it's done. Um, we should all have obviously we all gonna have different points of view, but it should be a good consensus. And it's just I don't maybe it's modern football fans. Uh, I know I'm a young person, but I I do I do not really like. I feel I always go against the grain of modern football fans nowadays. Um, but I, again, I just don't see as you said perfect. I, idea to describe him as a good young talent. Um, but it's like, even with Kai Havertz, as well as Kai Havertz has played, and as well as he's done very well in certain big moments, I still will not cast him as generational. He's a very good talent, and he could, he could get to that moment. I'm not saying he won't, but he's not at that now. So I just don't want to put that pressure on him. Um, I feel some sometimes these, I'm, I'm going to call them fanboys of certain players, they they almost put so much pressure on their player that actually it doesn't actually work too well. It actually is a bit of a negative effect. I think we do just need to calm down our expectations a bit overall with Chelsea as a club because, as I said, I don't think I think Thiago Silva is you could argue is in the top twenty, um, maybe just outside the top twenty, but at least in his position, I'd say top. I'd argue top, but. If you, want to say, if you want to be uh, leading say, top three. Um, and Kante, again, he's not playing fantastic this season, but overall he has been one of the best central midfielders um, over the last five, six years. So you could argue he's in that bracket, but no one else. Um, and that that's the way I'm going to kind of leave it because unfortunately it is what it is. Chelsea fans are Chelsea fans. We're always going to have divides, um, differences of opinion, are dramatic... And you're always going to get the typical Twitter fighters. Um, but we will go quickly through kind of the player ratings. We'll kind of breeze through this because I, I don't think there's going to be too much of a debate on any of these. Um, Start off with Mendy. Jess, what would you give Mendy in terms of player rating? I think I
1: gave him a six. Um, six or a six and a half. He, was, uh, he caused an issue coming out for a ball he shouldn't have not come out for. Um, this distribution was okay not great Uh, didn't have a whole lot to do had a couple good saves you know still what an average pro should do so you know
0: six six and a half I, i think that's fair on him yeah i'd say six i mean he made that one mistake but at the end of the day it didn't actually come to anything in the end, which is lucky. Um, but apart from that, I don't think he did anything major, spectacular or poor, but mainly because Burnley didn't offer that much of a threat for him to do anything. Um, what would you say for Rudiger?
1: Rudiger, I thought, was uh, probably the one that was most even-keel as far as he was Good in offense and in defense, so I gave him a seven. Um, you know, he didn't have an assist like Chalaba did, but I thought he was a better overall player in the game. I thought he was a better player than Chalaba was. Um, I thought Chalaba's mistakes were potentially more costly than 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 Rudiger's. Uh, but I, you know, his his main uh, thing is to play defense, and uh, so for me, he was a seven.
0: Yeah, I, I actually put a uh, seven down as well. We seem to be very together on the rating so far. Um, what would you give Thiago Silva?
1: Yeah, well, the, the, the man, the myth of the legend, um, the man that was just, for me, I, just outside of the top three players on the pitch. Um, I gave him an eight. Uh, the the guy is just a brilliant footballer, and just the class of what he does, and the ease of what he does stuff. He just always knows where to be, what to do at, at the right time. It's just it's a joy to watch, and it's just like yeah, Thiago's there, and everything's fine. So uh, you know, he's like that when you were growing up, when you're a baby, that you had always, you always slept with something that gave you comfort. That's Thiago Silva. He he's like our 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 teddy bear, or a blankie when we were kids. That's you know he's just that for the defense. He's just uh, that that uh, safety device or whatever you want to call him. He he he's that guy and
0: uh, he's brilliant. So eight, Joe. That's a lovely way to describe Thiago Silva. I I actually also have eight um, as my rating. I think just that that clearance off the line just to be in that position. People will say oh. Um, it's simple, but it's only simple because he's in that position. I don't think many of our defenders would have ever been in that position, um, and that could have been a goal. That's why I think you have to really bump him up anyway. And I think he's just overall play is just fantastic. It's just you, you don't you don't expect him to ever drop below a seven unless he's playing West Brom. That's quite frankly <laughs> the only issue. And luckily, West Brom don't look like they're getting promoted, so Thiago Silva would be happy with that. Um, going next to Chalaba uh, to finish the back three, what would you give him in terms of rating? Yeah, see, it
1: I, when I rated him originally, I forgot he had an assist. Although for, for me, Reese James made that pass an assist, right? It wasn't an assist, it was more of a pass that became an assist than an assist that was a pass, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah. Reese James did all the hard work. It was. So it wasn't to me, it wasn't very impressive. Um, and I thought he had some some poor moments. OK, on defense, uh, he, tur- he 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 kind of turned off a little bit when he was trying to see the ball out of the out of the in line, and uh, Rodriguez came and stole it. Um, there, there was a few other times he was he was a little bit poor on, on defense, so I went with a six and a half. For for Chalipa.
0: yeah, I, I went for six because I just think I, know, I obviously, again, as you said, you got the assist, but I just think he made a few mistakes. Arguably, the only thing I'll give credit him for is when he made the mistakes, he seemed like he's one of them players that does look at his mistakes. And he he doesn't keep making the same mistake. He seems to try and resurrect the mistake in the game, which is something you like to see because it shows that a player knows what he needs to improve on and actively tries to improve on it, which is something I like to see from my young players because you get certain other young players that they come in and they, they make the same mistake all the time. You're just like, you're not seeing where your mistake is coming from, but he seems to try and adapt his game every game or even in-game to try and make correct the mistake. So I think that's something a positive that I'd like to see from him. Um, but yes, I give him a six. It might feel a bit harsh where he got the assist, but as you said, it wasn't like it's assist that was outstanding. It was just quite simple, uh, even for a defender. Um, we'll move on to left wing back. Um, what would you give Sal for the rating? Uh, I gave
1: Sal a six and a half, uh, an average six, because I don't think he did anything wrong or really great. Uh, but I gave him an extra a half because I didn't have to see Marcus Alonso play there. Uh, <laughs> that's just for Sadiq. So if you're editing this, ha ha ha, you can't take this out. <laughs> oh
0: my god! Yeah, you <laughs> I'm definitely gonna look and just hit to see a pause and be like, oh, where's Sal's rating? Ah, uh, now we know where it's gone. Um, okay. so, oh, yeah, yeah I, so
1: six and a half.
0: Yeah, I mean, I gave him a five point five. I I just think he, again. This is it's it's one of them things we haven't got any good left wing back at the moment, so it's it's just a very low bar. Um, but I just felt like similar to Alonso, funny enough, he just he doesn't look quick. He doesn't he's not physically fast. He just I don't know. He just looked very poor, and I understand it's not his position. So maybe again I'm being a bit harsh on it, but I I don't really want to see him at left wing back, even if it means. Um, Alonzo has to come in I wonder if Bob the Hobo is coming back from injury Anytime soon So he can jump back in uh, From the stands Because um, we desperately need yeah. Bob the Hobo right now I think um, he's
1: got a bad case of the clap
0: Right now Definitely definitely. <laughs> um, moving on to the other side And arguably possibly keep Most people's man in the match um, What would you give Rhys James
1: Yeah, I gave Rhys James an 8.5 Um Ten in the second half, six and a half in the first half. I was just out to an eight and a half.
0: Yeah, I mean, like uh, g- I gave him the same as well. So it's quite a easy one. I mean, we've we've said what we we have on Maurice James, fantastic yeah. performance, and hopefully this continues into the rest of the season.
1: Yeah, he's he's brilliant baller, um, best right back in the world, wing back, full back. Don't make the decision, the distinction. He's the he's the best at both of them. So, yeah, uh, that's all that needs to be said.
0: He sets the bar for everybody else in the world. Yes, I mean, I, I definitely think he's our best talent from the Youth Academy, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing him over this next decade at Chelsea Football Club, hopefully. Um, moving on to, into the middle, uh, we'll go with Jorginho, or as some certain people on the World Wide Chelsea uh, panel will say, Jennifer. Um, what will you give Jennifer as a rating?
1: Yeah, I gave him a six. Um, Didn't do anything wrong, really didn't do anything right.
0: Forgot he was on the pitch. Six. Yeah, I mean, I was I was kind of harsh with the central midfield as a whole because I was just fed up of the slow side side passing, too defensive. So I gave Jorginho a five, but I can understand where that sounds a bit harsh. Um, what would you give Kento? I, I gave Conte the same thing I you know,
1: he did his normal Conte thing, but for him I do have a bar and. He was just average Conte today. So. Average Conte He still gets a six because it's still average. Uh, You know, he had some good moments, didn't really have any bad moments that I can really that's really stick in my mind. Uh. So, for me, he was a six.
0: Yeah, for me, I was going on, a bit, again, a bit of the harsh side. So, I, I kind of levelled it out as giving them both a five. So, it's, it might seem a bit harsh, but I was just very frustrated with that midfield in general. Um, and I'd like to see Kovsic back in soon because I think he provides something different. Um, and even Ruben the sheik I don't think it's his best position, but he does provide something different. Um, moving into the front three, we'll start with... Your man of the hour, Christian Pulisic, what did you give him as a rating? I also gave him an 8.5. Um, I thought he
1: was um, not not terrible. Or little, probably maybe just a, a hair above average, did a couple of good things in the first half. And 10, again, goal and assist. He was involved in three of the, of, of the goals and scored. Uh, so 8.5 of me. Um, I thought that uh, there was, like I said, three players that were equally brilliant in this in this uh, game, and they're all going to score the same.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I got, I got, I, I put him down as an eight. I mean, I could understand giving him an eight point five as well. Um, I just first instincts put an eight. So, I mean, credit to him. I think he was fantastic, and hopefully, he can continue this going into the next games. Um. Going to the other um, wide player, Mason Mount, what would you give him? I gave Mason Mount a six. Oh, yeah, you did um, say, yeah.
1: I think he was just totally average. Again, I forgot he was on the pitch for large sections of that game. Um, didn't really do anything wrong. Didn't do anything great. So,
0: again, average six. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think this is – I think this is due to built-up frustration over a number of games, but I've given them a five just because I was just a bit fed up in the end of just seeing the same thing uh, and then seeing the term Mason Mount is the glue (laughs) pasted on Twitter. But there you go. Um, Finally, up front, Kai Havertz, what would you give him as a rating? I gave him 8.5. Yeah, the first
1: goal was beautiful second goal was not but they all count the same right yeah <laughs> I, gonna...
0: I, I just looked at it and thought oh it, i would have been I, it would have been just fantastic if you made that just a perfect neat finish but as you said it is well it is a goal is a goal doesn't matter how it goes in
1: right yeah he was 8.5 um lots of movement um he just he he is actually the glue that keeps this attack together. Everybody is better when Kai Havertz is playing an attack. Even Romelu Lukaku is a better player when Kai Havertz is an attack. So he makes everybody better. So I don't know if that's the glue or
0: the booster. Uh, he's the booster. Yeah, uh, he's uh, the mushroom in Mario. I, I would definitely go with the booster. Um, I think um, I'd argue Kai Havertz isn't, isn't the glue when the uh, forward line is so fluid. Fluid. I think that's the kind of opposite to the definition of a glue. Um, but yeah, the booster is definitely. I, I do agree. I think everyone kind of boosts up another level of kai. Uh, I do think, in terms of his actual position, I think the more central he is, the better. I don't like him when he's forced about a bit too far out wide on the touchline. I don't think he's as effective. Um, so I'd like to see him central, but. Um, yeah, I think it was fantastic performance for him. In terms of the subs, obviously they all got about twenty minutes. So obviously we said just taking more six. So I don't think they I gave them all a six. Um, yeah. Some so. people gave Timo
1: an na But I think he was on a little bit less. I don't think it was yeah, a I think he came sub. on.
0: He had twelve minutes.
1: Yeah, I, I give him all a six. Um, I, I know now why why Reuben didn't start because he. I think I think. He, Reese James was always going to be subbed off. He wasn't going to play 90 um, unless we were behind. If we were ahead, Reese James was coming off the pitch just because he's coming, still coming back from injury and Ruben was always going to come in and play right, right wing back, which again, I always say it's more of a midfielder than a, a, a center back or a, um, a fullback in a conditional back five. Um, so Ruben is equipped to play that position because he's equipped to play CDM, central midfielder, CAM, um,
0: center back, apparently. Center
1: center center back, and you know that that wing back position is a kind of a combination, a crude combination
0: of all of those positions. So that, that's why I always feel as harsh as it is. I, I do think it will be his time to move in the summer because uh, I think he does deserve. Start for a team, really shot lit light it up for another team. But I think he he could you could always have a Ruben in there in that squad t- to just cover for different positions should you need him. Um, but for the best of his career, I think he will move on in the summer, which will be to the demise of myself. But there you go, there are other players in the Chelsea side, um, so it won't bother me too much. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the end of talking about the Burnley game, but obviously isn't the uh, biggest story around Chelsea. Obviously, the last week has been a bit of a topsy-turvy week for Chelsea fans. Obviously, you had the cup final that didn't go our way. And seeing some of the goals that have stood as goals this week, I am even more amused at that Romelu Lukaku decision. Um, Then we had the news, obviously, Roman Bramwich is going to sell the club. Um, and he's in the process of currently trying to sell the club um, and he's doing it in what would be the best way for Chelsea fans um, writing off the debt, um, not looking to have an awfully huge price tag uh, and probably getting the move done as swiftly as possible. Obviously, they, we had the Luton game, which was crazy, um, but we are through and that's all that matters um drawing middlesbrough um before we move on to the owner stuff um as, what what's your thoughts on middlesbrough away i have no thoughts i really don't um
1: if we lose to them we deserve to be laughed at just like we laughed at uh manchester united and, and tottenham when when Borough beat them um we, it's a game we should be winning whatever with ever with whatever lineup we put out there i don't want to hear about we're, we're not strong don't want to hear it. Whatever lineup we put out there, we should be beating Mid- Middlesbrough. If we don't, we deserve to be laughed at.
0: That's, that's, that's I, I don't care at this point. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of, I had a feeling that at some point, especially after they beat United, I was looking I was like at some point we're going to draw Middlesbrough if they stay through. Um, so I was like, I'm not going to laugh at Tottenham. I'm not going to laugh at United. I'm going to wait till we've beaten Middlesbrough um, if we do Um, and then I will particularly laugh at Tottenham and United for losing to them Um, but it is a potential banana skin Middlesbrough are doing well in the FA Cup but they'll be galvanised for the game Um, but hopefully we will get through it as Chelsea do in cup matches we do seem to be a very good cup team so let's hope we get to towards our third FA Cup final Um, should we get through the quarterfinals and semifinals but Obviously, the main t- talk is um, Roman Abramovich selling the club. Um, Jesters, do you think it's the right call for Roman Abramovich to sell the club? Uh, just so you know, Olivier
1: Giroux scored in the Napoli AC Milan
0: match. If you're interested, lovely. lovely. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Love, I love. it. beautiful I, man. Beautiful man. I. I, I just. As much again, as much as he, he wants to go out and play, for, I, I just love seeing Giroud around the club. It's fantastic. I, I've never had so much admiration for a former Arsenal player, but um, as I do with Giroud. Um, but what what a man! What a man! Um, yeah, I, I, as you said, um, what did you think of? Do you think Roman uh, is right to sell the club?
1: Well, I, you know they've been trying to get out, of, get get him out of the club for for years now um let's be fair the the fa the you know still there yeah i'm still there uh, hold on a second for to call uh these songs are hard to, to hold on for a long periods of time they tend to slip out of my hands uh, that's right and then buttons there. get pushed
0: are you there now
1: <laughs> I am. I'm here. Perfect. As you will. Um, so they've been trying to get rid of him, and this is the final, the straw that that's going to finally get you know get him out the door. Um, they, you know they've been banned from coming into England for how long? So he hasn't been able to come to Stamford Bridge to watch Chelsea play, which has given him less and less motivation to you know be a be an owner. He doesn't get any joy out of it. I mean, get to you know, I guess to go to different countries and see us play, but you know the team he owns and the city he owns and the stadium he you know, doesn't own, but I guess partly owned. I rinse. I don't know. He doesn't get to go and see the games, so they took this opportunity to finally say this is it. And you know, I don't think he wanted the players or the coach to to catch all these questions about well about this situation i think uh he's trying to protect everybody. you know he's a good owner and uh you can't go ahead you can't say all these beautiful wonderful things about roman abramovich what he's done for this club uh you know what he bought it for and what it's worth now all all the foundation that he's put in with the academy and the structure and the viability and then go well he's just we don't want X person, Y person, whoever buy, whoever Roman sells to decide decides to sell to is 100% the best person to buy this club of the people who bidded for the club. He is going to do the right thing when it comes to Chelsea Football Club. And that means an owner who's interested in the club and will spend on the club and will make, will keep uh, Chelsea at this level or, or greater levels. Uh, so I think that's what we should expect. That's what Roman has said. And I, I, I take it at his word that he's going to do these things. And if you take it, if you want to say all these great things about the man, you have to take, think that he's going to do what's best for Chelsea Football Club. End of the story.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's it's been one of the things that obviously there has been Rumors and there has been some sort of evidence that Roman has been a part, um, close to people of Putin, um, especially of where he got his money from originally, etc. But obviously, we're not we're not a judge to we haven't we're not judged during executioner, so we can't say for definite that he is definitely involved in what's going on now. Which I think we both say is dreadful. Um, hopefully this war ends soon, which I unfortunately I don't think it will. I mean I have um friends within Ukraine now, um, and I'm always messaging them every day to make sure they're okay. Um but and it is terrible but and unfortunately it is a situation where I think it is probably the right decision um to sell the club, whether he is guilty or not. Because it's it's it is the the bad light on the club we saw with the um, press conference of Thomas Tuchel how frustrated he got to consistently get asked about a subject he knows next to nothing about. Um, unfortunately, it is going to be very. No matter who comes in, it's going to be a bit detrimental because it is going to be a new process um, at the club. Um, and I, as I've said on the stream, I think it's time. It's probably the first time. Chelsea fans will have to be patient with not just a manager, but a board an owner as well because it's, it's not like they're going to come in and it's going to be working clockwork, no matter who it is. Um, but yeah, I think it's the right decision. I think the way Roman is going about it, it is by far for the best of the club. Um, to write off £1.5 billion of debt, that's a lot of money just to write off as nothing. Um, apart from I think, I think, I think it was. I think it's about seven hundred million that I think he's going to take from whatever is the price that he sells it for. I think that's what the idea of is. He bought the club with inflation that's going on now, um, and then apart from that, he's going to give the rest to a charity to help the victims of the war. I think that's very honourable to do. Um, so I, I think that's fantastic, and I think as the co- recent quotes come out today that he's going to look for an owner that will invest in the club um, and possibly within the stadium, which are, the stadium specifically mentioned, I think that's a good thing. Because I think the main reason why Chelsea have not started this stadium was because Roman isn't in the country. And I think with the price of the stadium, it was close to being one between one and £2 billion pounds to make. Um you don't want to spend that if you can't even visit it for more than a couple of games a season. Um, so I can understand that that's always kind of halted uh, because of him not being able to come in the country since 2018. Um, so I think that would be good in a way to start to move on. Um, obviously, there are a number of candidates and new candidates come out each day from uh, certain credible ones to some others on this list that are very uncredible. If I, I'm just going to say it as, as, as simply as that. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go through each one. Um, I'm going to give you, you guys, listeners, a little bit of information about them because some are, you can find a bit of information on them. Some don't even have any information on them at all. So I had to do, me and Sadiq had to do a little bit of digging into some of these um, to give you some information. Uh, and we'll just give you a quick opinion of whether we think these people are the right people or who we prefer. Obviously, we know Roman will pick the best out of whoever these are, um, but what we think personally as fans. Um, so, starting off with the main two people that are rumoured to buy the club. Uh, starting off with Hans Wiss, He's a Swiss international. Um, he is around a worth £3.8 billion. He amassed his money mainly within healthcare, the healthcare industry, um, has no history of sporting investment at all. He's 86 years old, so he's getting on a bit. That's that's the way I'm going to put it. Um, and, unfortunately, has publicly criticised Roman Abramovich, um, which hasn't exactly uh, tickled the fancy of some certain Twitter um, fans of Chelsea. Um he is looking to make this a uh, a corporation uh, consortium with American Todd Bowley. I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Sorry if I will butcher some of these names because some of these names ain't exactly the easiest to pronounce. So Todd Bowley is worth about 4 billion pounds, according to Forbes. He's amassed his money in real estate technology. Um, In terms of sport and investment, he does have a 20% stake in the LA Dodgers, the baseball team. And from Fans of the Dodgers that I've spoke to, um, they have said that he has invested a lot into the team, um, has, has been known to invest a lot, um, which is always good to see because obviously there is always a bit of scepticism, uh, thanks to Stan Cronkey, the Glazers and the Liverpool owners uh, about Americans in terms of coming into the club and investing. Um, so in terms of that consortium of them to combine the Chester's, um, would you like them to be the owners or is that one you want to avoid? They're not going to be the, the owners of Chelsea Football Club. Um, they're out. They had their bid
1: turned down. Um, I think they only, they offered $2.5 billion And Roman said no. Um, from what I understand, the ones that you're seeing publicly announced are the ones least likely to get it.
0: Yeah, that is, that is that is always something I'd say. It, I I do think it's going to be a almost a left wing one that comes out of nowhere. Um, yeah, we'll get it. it's it's going to be
1: somebody that he's they're having conversations with now, and no, and they're smart enough to keep it under wraps. And uh, yeah, again. At the end of the day, if I believe Roman Abramovich is his great owner, that I think he is, then I should at least have faith that he's going to put the club in the correct hands. Right? He's not going to do anything to, de- to destroy this club that he built. This is his club now. So going forward, it's the legacy li- he leaves will uh, really depend on who owns them next because he has a hand in that. So he knows that. He's not stupid. So we need to stop worrying about who the owners are, where they're from, what God they pray to, who they sleep in their beds with, and just think if Roman's picked this person, he obviously knows what the hell he's doing. And that's why I leave the ownership thing. I really do. I really could care
0: less. Yeah, definitely. I mean, some of the other um, mentions, you've obviously got um, someone that's been previously linked to the club. Jim Ratcliffe, um, British billionaire worth around £21 billion. Um, amassed his company, uh, money from chemical industry, in-, 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 in Uh Has ownership of Nice currently, which in my mind, I'm not sure on the rules of ownership of clubs, but I'm, as, as I'm understanding, I don't know whether because he owns Nice, whether he can own Chelsea Football Club as well. Uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. But he also... Has previously owned team sky uh and is currently principal partner with mercedes f1 team so obviously a lot of sporting stuff that he's successfully invested in uh so that could be potentially a good one but again i think he's publicly re- rejected that he's involved whether that's a smokescreen and he is involved or whether but i don't i, I think that's one that as, as nice as the 21 billion sounds i don't think it's going to happen um, next is Turkish billionaire Musrin Bayrak, uh, worth approximately 11 billion, amassed this money from real estate and crypto, which me and Sadiq were talking about because it's he's got nothing in terms of information out there. We have to do a lot of digging on this one. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all I'd say is for people saying, oh, 11 billion is a lot of money. It depends on how much of that is from crypto, because that is a very volatile market that could easily go down and up depending on how his crypto works um he's also now it's been known that he is a quite a close friend of roman Abramovich, which i'm not sure whether the um british government will be too pleased with roman selling to apparently one of his friends um i, I wonder whether the government will look to step in on that and um, obviously i don't know legally if they could step in but uh i don't know whether they'd want that to be a particular sign in um other Another uh, consortium that is mentioned, uh, Red Redbird Capital Partners, um, unknown of what their total worth is. But they do have an 11% share in Liverpool, which, again, legally, I think they'd have to shell that share um, to buy the club, which I don't think will happen. I think that's a very outside chance. Um, other small names mentioned, which, again, I think with their money worth, I think is very unlikely. Uh, you've got Thomas Ricketts, American billionaire worth 1.7 billion, a massive money from real estate and capital owner of the Chicago Cubs, which he took them to win the world series in 2016. So even though that 1.7 billion seems low, I, I I imagine that's could be underestimated. But again, I'd like, I'd simply, I'd like someone to have a bit more money. Uh, I don't really like the idea of multiple consortiums because the more so you don't like poor billionaires. You don't like poor billionaires. <laughs> yeah, I I I, I <laughs> like a billionaire, like a proper billionaire, not not something. No, no,
1: no. But um, single-digit billionaires. <laughs> <Loving.
0: Sheesh. laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't really like the idea of a consortium with m- multiple hands in the pie because how many of them hands in the pie are interested in the profits rather than the actual club itself? Um, another. Fairly poor billionaire, um, Nick Candy, uh, British international, amassed his money again from property. No history of sporting investments, but has been previously linked to Chelsea in the past. Um, A surprising one, which I I couldn't help but laugh when I heard it, Conor McGregor. Obviously, as everyone knows, former MMA champion, not even a billionaire. uh, According to Forbes, he's worth 151 million. Um, So, According to that, he's worth approximately Eden Hazard. Um, apparently, is rumoured to wanting to be a part of a consortium and wants to put in a £1.5 billion bid, which is very low. Um, jesters, is that one we can just laugh at? Ah, oh, no, Drew, we got
1: hurt. Um, yes, all of them you can laugh at. Again, I think that the person that re- The people that are really serious have not even been mentioned yet and they're not going to be mentioned because billionaires like their privacy. And nobody wants to think, well, my background's gonna be gone through because they think I'm gonna buy Chelsea football club. So everybody's gonna stay silent about this stuff. Um if they're if they're really gonna be involved. So yeah, definitely. Um, all, those, all, those, all those people, I think, are, um, you know, try hard, but they're, they're not going to make the final list. I think Giroud just did his ankle. Oh, no. Yeah, he turned his ankle. My oh. ankle sprain, probably done for the year now.
0: That's not good. Giroud, get well soon. Um, the final one that I think a lot of people on Twitter have mainly been talking about, I think is a more of a fan favourite um, for some of the fans, is Egyptian billionaire uh, Lofty Mansour, worth about £6 billion. No history of sport and investment, but known to be a season ticket holder of Chelsea, which is always a bonus. But then again, is that just because he's a so season ticket holder? Um, I, I, I again think this is one that, as much as he would have the club in its best cases um i don't think it's going to happen as for the reasons you said um but going into kind of um the future of the club and um, particularly the near future in terms of the summer transfer window obviously there's a lot of talk about when the new owner comes in what's going to happen with the board what's going to happen with the scout structure i think even some people have questioned. Um, which is, you could say, is valid considering looking at previous owners. Most owners like their own manager, but obviously, I think Thomas Tuchel is one of the best managers in the world. So any owner coming in, I think, should recognise that and keep him on. But obviously, with Marina being very close to Roman uh, in his businesses, also being Russian, I don't know whether the government will take a not a liking. Canadian, which is Russian and Canadian, so it's a kind of. I think where she yeah, very it, close to. Roman Abramovich. I'm not sure whether the government will take that likely either.
1: Um, well, I mean, it's taken a little bit far. She was born in Canada to Russian parents, I believe. Um, I, yeah, I, I think it would be in the best interest of the owner to make changes slowly, right? Not to come in and go, "I'm changing everything," because you're you have a small window in the summer to get things done. So this summer, you might see the same people sit stick around uh and then it'll be slowly people will start to leave uh now some of the board positions they can go because they're not going to be like Bruce Buck he'll probably leave which is fine nobody's gonna sweat tears over uh Bruce Buck leaving so again um I know it's it's good for the news it's good for clicks it's good for to have videos on but I really is the least interesting thing to me to talk about Um, now that we know where Roman is going, you know, that's sad. And that's one thing. But, you know, I'm I'm just not interested in every person who wants to bid for Chelsea Football Club. We'll see what you know, I'd rather talk about once we find out who the new owner is, who they are, what we can find out about them. And I'll wait until then and see what they do. But, you know, my, it'll be all positive for me, most
0: likely, until they give me a reason not to be positive. Yeah, that's fair enough. I mean, for me, I think I'm, again, Bruce Buck. I'll be, Let's just say I won't be shedding tears, as you said, for Bruce Buck leaving. Um, I do think if Marina stays, I do think, well, I, I kind of hope maybe she takes her, not a backward step, but almost sidestep. But she can focus on deals of players, negotiations. Um, I think where she's, where there is no real director of football at Chelsea, I think she's kind of everyone between her and Petrichek and Bruce Buck or whoever else there is. I think everyone's kind of tried to do that role without actually being in charge. Um, so I do hope a proper football person is brought into the board um, to maybe work a bit in a football way. And I think the one thing that I would be looking forward to maybe the owners changing is maybe the scouting uh, department. I think that's been a little bit lacking, uh, especially with some of the signings that have been a tad strange in the last few months and the last few years. Um, So maybe some changes there would be uh, decent. Um, But in terms of the summer window, do you think the new owner coming in, obviously, if changes are looking to be made uh, within staff, do you think it's going to hamper any big money signings coming into the club? Or do you think the club will still look to spend a lot of money in the summer regardless? No, I think it'll give us some freedom, actually.
1: um, Because whoever the new owner is is going to want to make a splash, right? They're not going to come in and go, well, we're not spending anything tough they might did you know they could end up doing that in a few years but they're not going to do that in their first year because they're going to want to they're going to want to put some some love in the bank right um for whatever reason to just you know move on from roman just to have that separation so yeah I, i i think that you know we have a certain player playing a certain position wearing a certain jersey number, you know, that could be easier to get rid of now because it's not the owner's pick. Right? The, the same thing before and the not, owner and not the and owner's, owner's money either. Right. So you 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 know, you never know. That might be a a positive. But no, I think I just I think I'm still hoping that uh, we we have uh, Kounde and and Chiume come in, um, either either Cucurella uh, or Erna Sosa coming in, um, at left, uh, keeping Brosia and uh, Conor Gallagher with the team, uh, letting Jorginho leave, letting Werner leave, uh, and then see what we can do in the attack of bringing a big name scorer in to play with Havertz and. And Brozia is ba- as a backup in that position. Um, that's what I still want to see, but, we, you know, who knows? I might get hit by training before then. <laughs> and so
0: all it's a new point. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there will be maybe um, some sort of, I wouldn't say hesitation, but I think the more... The players, are, I think, are more likely to succeed. The more known players, such as the Kundays, the Shumenis, the, if you want to say Declan Rices of the world, um, I think there will be players we'll still look for. But I think if there's more of the ob- obscure scout and picks, maybe the Sosa's of the world, um, maybe some of the ones a bit more risky, have you will, Um Especially if the ch- scouting board will, the scouting will look to change. Um, I think maybe them sort of signings, be ones that we tend not to go to. Uh, I think it will be more the household names, if if you would call it like that. that uh, the ones that I think most owners or most scouting departments would pick up uh, in the certain positions you're going for. So that's why I hope my aim is ju- for me. I, I I just want a defensive midfielder in. Um, if you want to get a ba- a, a backup wing back. Uh, potentially, because I think Chilwell situation needs sorting, um, and then after that, an attack, uh, a, a forward, which I think that will be the one where we'll be a bit more optimistic. I don't think we I, I don't. I personally don't think we're going to spend a lot of money in that area. I'm wondering if, with the you obviously have the rumours of Rafina, if Leeds do get relegated, there's rumours he's going to his prices can be uh, cut down. I think that's something Chelsea could look at or obviously Dembélé is uh, as a free could be an option for the owners obviously not spending bundles of money on him um but yeah we'll, we'll see how it goes hopefully that the ownership doesn't affect the summer too much because uh I want to step I want to step on that gas and put more pressure on City and Liverpool for the title next season um compared to this season um but yeah i mean that is the end of what has been another wonderful pod um obviously we've got a fairly easy run of games coming up, but it is Chelsea Football Club. Um, we are, we do, we t- do tend to struggle against smaller teams. So let's hope we don't um, run into any road bumps and mess up some games. But Jester, thank you for coming on once again. Oh, thank you for having me. As always, it's always
1: fun, instructional. and I hope uh, people who listen get some some knowledge out of this, or at least get get the laugh at us. You know, laughter is is jo- you know a good
0: thing too. So, yeah, I, d- I don't mind being laughed at. Uh, if I'm honest, used to it by now. Um, but yeah, guys, thank you for tuning in. Uh, as as I usually say, uh, make sure you give us a rating on whatever platform you are listening to us on. Uh, make sure you follow us at WWC Pod Articles on Twitter or Instagram. Give us a DM. Give us a reply to any of our posts. We love to debate and chat with you guys. Um, there will be um, some new features coming in with the podcast uh, coming up. Uh, we'll give you some announcements soon. Um, so what? stay tuned for them. Make sure you like, subscribe, download the podcast. With Matt and Jester's, we're here at the Chelsea.